Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 142 of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. This week's episode is a very special one. I assembled a cadre of some of the most well-respected landscape photographers in North America. Unfortunately, our UK and Australian guests could not make it. And we had a really awesome discussion on photography education and creativity. This particular conversation really got me thinking and is full of interesting perspectives that will hopefully cause you to pause and think about your own photography. For this episode, I invited Guy Tal, Suzanne Mathia, Sean Bagshaw, David Cobb, and Alex Noriega to join us on a really fascinating conversation. Thanks to listener and former guest Len Metcalf for the idea of this week's podcast. Our incredible panel shared their thoughts on a wide variety of topics this week, including thoughts on the current philosophies of teaching photography, how current teaching approaches encourage or discourage creativity in photography, what do workshop customers demand and expect from their teachers, and defining and measuring creativity, and a lot more. We also have some really awesome news. Stick around for the end of the podcast where I announce some awesome discounts for products and workshops from Guy Tao. Okay, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to uh, our podcast where we're going to talk all about approaches to teaching photography. This was an idea that came from a former guest and listener, uh, Len Metcalf, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today. Um, And it was all spawned out of a really great article that Guy Tao wrote um, all about approaches to teaching photography. Just a quick intro. If you remember back to episode 100, where we had a huge roundtable discussion from lots of awesome photographers, there was a huge theme that emerged from that discussion, which was kind of the homogenization of landscape photography, where it's all starting to look the same. I'm guessing that a lot of that has to do with how people are learning photography. I'm sure that's a piece of it. So what this is about is pedagogy, but it's really just the approach of teaching. Uh, Let's introduce our guest. Guy, do you want to go first? Uh, Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Guy. Uh, I wrote the article that we're going to talk about today, hopefully, and I look forward to a great discussion. And thank you, Matt, for hosting it. Absolutely. And Suzanne? Hey, I'm Suzanne Mathia. Great to be with everybody today. Looking forward to this. Great. And Sean? Hey, everybody. I'm Sean Bagshaw, and glad to be here. All right. David? Hi, this is David Cobb. Glad to be here, and thanks for inviting me, Matt. You bet. And Alex? Hey, this is Alex. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Not not to be confused with Alex from the UK, right? Yeah, Alex Noriega of the US. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I guess, first of all, what I'd like to kind of kick us off with, and I'm going to have uh, Guy go first, kind of what are your thoughts on what is the current trend of the mainstream and current methods of, of teaching photography? Uh, well, I think the, the point is that there's a lot of different ways to teach photography at a lot of different levels. And I think that one thing we've seen not just in photography, but in a lot of other areas is a lack of creativity. Uh, there's uh, In t- 2010, there was an article in uh, 
uh, in some magazine t- talking about the creativity crisis, uh, and there's measurable decline in creativity both in the U.S. and the U.K. and in other developed nations. So I think that that's something that's somewhat lacking in photography today. There's a lot of kind of template thinking and uh, the tendency to look for easy solutions and uh, go for guidelines and, and things like, things of that nature and templates rather than come up with creative ways to render things and express things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do what do you think, uh, Sean? You know, my photography completely came out of and is based around uh, experience. You know, my experiences in the outdoors. I started off as a, a climber and a mountaineer and, and just an outdoor adventurer, and that's what motivated me to want to take photographs to try to capture and, and communicate those experiences. And so my teaching kind of comes from that because that's what I know. And so, yeah, I think for me, creativity comes from, you know, the experience I'm having and that's where I teach from. And so in terms of any specific, you know, I'm I'm not trained as an artist. I don't have uh, necessarily a good handle on, um, you know, the state of creativity (laughs) across, you know, the world. And um, so I'm just trying to get people to connect with, the outdoors and then communicate their experiences through their imagery. And hopefully that leads to creativity. Mm. Uh, what do you think, David? Well, I'm kind of in Sean's boat too. I mean, I, I started with my long distance hiking and that's really how I learned about the land. And that's where my creativity comes from is, is looking at that land and how that land was and, uh, and is, and try to capture that and translate that and communicate that. So that, that is my background too. But, uh, unlike Sean, I do have, uh, some art background and have studied art and I, I read about art all the time and go to art museums all the time. So there's kind of an, a, a mesh of all of that uh, together and then trying to teach from that forum. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, do you feel, do you, do any of you guys feel like uh, the way that photography is being taught right now is kind of all the same or do you think there's a lot of different styles that currently exist? Uh, Alex? Uh, yeah, there are a lot of different approaches to it. I think that you can go purely after the light and the conditions and extreme weather. And I mean, that's one fun exciting way to go after it you could uh, just plop the students down in nature and let them do their own thing and see what they come up with uh, you can take them to checklists of uh, bucket list shots and get them like the shot uh, at each spot you could i mean I, i've seen lots of approaches and it's kind of difficult to balance uh, all the technical aspects that most students have questions on while also getting into uh, the more creative side of it and coming up with something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you, what do you think guy? Well, I, I think it would be useful to deconstruct things. It's not just the teaching of all photography being the same. There are photographers of a lot of different levels. There's a lot of different motivations and styles of photography. So teaching should pretty much match the audience as it's intended to. Uh, and for some people that's location tours and getting to beautiful places that they want to see. For other people, it's more uh, teaching skills, whether it's basic skills or advanced skills. For other people, it's teaching uh, expressive skills, uh, which is where creativity comes from. So I don't think we should necessarily say that one way is correct or incorrect. Uh, But for example, if you're coming to teach at a ninth grade level, you can pretty much assume everybody in your class is at eighth grade level. Uh, And that's a difficult thing to do in photography workshops where you generally get a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, So one of the things that I generally like to do when I start a workshop is to 
ask people to not try to compete with each other, to ask people to try to express at their level the things that they want to express. Uh, but we do uh, tell participants in advance that we are not going to cover uh, basics of technique and exposure and things like that. Mm-hmm. So do, is your expectation that people kind of have a grasp of that before they come? Yes, absolutely. We, we want to definitely put the emphasis on expressive skills. Interesting. What about for you, Suzanne? I haven't heard you speak yet. Well, I, I agree, obviously agree with everybody else and uh, where they're coming from on that, especially what Guy just said. Um, I've been teaching workshops now for about 10 years, both uh, larger workshops and small workshops as well. On the larger workshops, uh, I tend to find everybody from the raw beginner all the way to, you know, expert should be teaching the class themselves. So sometimes I have to, uh, you know, change my teaching style on the fly all the time. I can't just, uh, you know, level it in one certain area. Um, On my larger workshops, I'm lucky enough to have really well-trained assistants with me. So it gives me the time and the opportunity to get one-on-one with some people on just really the basics and the technical stuff. Um, And then, also be able to uh, get with the other people and expand their creativity and give them some new techniques um, that maybe they weren't familiar with either. So usually on my larger workshops, I have the whole gamut. Um, So I'm trying to teach uh, a little bit of everything to everyone. And I always do encourage people to, you know, take different workshops from different instructors in different places, because you're going to learn so much, you know, more than just, you know, concentrating on just one person teaching you something. Everybody has a lot to offer and comes from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious, how do you feel like current uh, teaching approaches discourage or encourage creativity? Well, for me, I think they will obviously encourage creativity. Um, if somebody is going to take the time and effort and expense and everything else that's involved in coming to a workshop, they've obviously done some research on the photographer and the locations and everything else. You know, they're coming there to expand and uh, progress from where they are now. Um, they've, you know, they've been through the sort of the Instagrams and the 500 PXs and everything else and, you know, followed along and copied. And now they want to explore and do something a little bit more creative, um, honing their skills a little bit better because it's, you know, it's one thing to uh, have a vision in your mind as to the image you want. But if you don't technically know how to get there, that's not going to do you any good, both in the field and in post-processing. So, you know, I think it's it's good to try and get everybody exactly what they want out of a workshop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've heard stories of, you know, some f- photographers that do workshops where they're basically like, this is where you need to go. This is where you put your tripod. I want you to point your camera at that thing right over there. And I personally feel like, you know, that doesn't do a whole lot in terms of teaching or encouraging creativity. And as I say, I, yeah, I would call, I would call that more of a tour than a workshop. (laughs) You're just going to plunk people, you're going to plunk people in the right place, hopefully at the right time and just, you know, leave them on their own. Right. Um, What, what, what about for you, Guy? Uh, Well, there's something related to what you just said. And there's a, there's a term in education called desirable difficulties. It was introduced by a psychologist uh, in the early nineties, Robert Bjork, I think. Uh, And his claim is that it actually, 
actually you, you actually teach people better by making them work hard to do things. And one of those desirable difficulties is something called a generation effect, where you demand of them to generate their own ideas rather than give them ideas or hints. Hmm. I like that, uh, Sean. Along this lines of, of of you know the creativity piece and how you. Um, get people to be creative or how you get them to think. But I think in, at least I know in my mindset of doing workshops and, and teaching is that there's kind of a couple of different approaches. Uh, you know, one approach is to, you know, have kind of a planned curriculum and to take people out with a specific goal. And it's like, okay, here is what we are teaching and everyone's going to be learning that same uh, curriculum or that same scope and sequence. And we're all going to um, kind of, you were saying, Matt, you know, like, okay, we're all going to stand here and point our cameras that direction and we're all going to work on this together. Or, you know, as the instructor, I'm going to give an assignment and go out and try to, you know, do your best job of accomplishing that assignment on a specific topic versus more of kind of an open-ended experiential, like we're going to get you out into the wilderness or wherever, wherever in the landscape we're going, give you some ideas about uh, types of things to think about when you're photographing, but everyone's going to kind of go their own direction, see their own, uh, whatever it is that they're seeing and, and being drawn to and really make choices for themselves about how they're going to go about photographing it. And then ask questions as they need help or as they come across stumbling blocks and things like that. And I, uh, I think those are two very different ways to approach the teaching. Um, I know in my teaching and most of the workshops I do, it's more the second one. It's more about getting people out there and then letting them kind of run wild and then see what questions they have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, this is David. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm more of the latter also. I like to take people to, to locations that, you know, I, I, did, I try not to plot people into iconic locations, um, but I like to bring people to locations where they can wander, where they can experience, where the light's changing, and where they can ask questions as needed. And um, I, I, I think that for them, they, they enjoy it more, and they experience it more, and they can learn more. because uh, and, and they also teach me. I had uh, one person... And they asked me to go point by point what was going on in my mind about how I'm going to photograph this one subject. And I had to articulate everything. And for me to articulate something that is intuitive was a difficult chore. So that taught me a lot. And, um, you know, that I, I learned from my students as much as they learned from me, I think. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that last point, especially like when you have to explain exactly what you're doing and what you're thinking, you learn more about what you're doing intuitively. You actually have to learn what you're doing. <laughs> you have to recognize it and put it into words. So that's that's interesting. And it's helpful for teaching to be able to explain that. I always feel that every workshop I'm getting better and better at teaching within those few days by the end of the few days, because now I've been explaining myself constantly for a few days and I can articulate my thoughts better. Mm -hmm. But I do agree with uh, David and Sean about taking the more open-ended approach because when I first started teaching, I was feeling an obligation to the students to get them the shots that they wanted. I'd get a lot of people that wanted a particular shot or a particular type of shot from a certain place, and I felt, well, they're paying me. I have to get them this shot, so that's what we're going to do. And I think that does them a disservice, actually, to simply take them on a tour, essentially. I much prefer to 
let people come up with their own shots and they may feel at first like it's not very productive and it takes time, but it's a worthy pursuit. I'm uh, Alex. I'm curious um, when people are signing up for workshops with you, are you upfront with them that it's not about uh, replicating shots that are in your portfolio or do you offer them yeah. kind of a mixture of those two things? No, I don't really do anything that's based around a particular shot or particular composition anymore haven't for years Mm -hmm. i really think that people are happiest when they come up with their own i mean it's really great to see students you give them some ideas and put them out there in a place with a lot of opportunities i think that's the main thing Um, a lot of things for them to recognize and come up with their own shot and when they see something and you can just guide them and help them uh, make that shot their own and bring it to fruition i think that's a lot more satisfying for them so i do say in the description of the workshop that, yeah, we're not going to be pursuing iconic shots. And this is more about finding out how to work a scene on your own Mm. than me taking you step-by-step through it. Mm -hmm. Uh, What about for you, David? I just wanted to add one more thing about this, but uh, it it may sound mundane, but uh, one of the most important jobs of a workshop instructor is to take care of all the logistics, all the details, and to create an organized and relaxed atmosphere for creativity to thrive and for that just to be available. And, um, you know, once you've taken care of all those things that they don't have to worry about, then they can just think about photography. And I think that's a a good form to be in. What, uh, what type of environment does creativity thrive in? (laughs) Well, I I think if, if it's not stressful for the people in your workshop, that's a good place for creativity to thrive. I think you're, you're best. uh, Well, I'm best. I know when I'm all by myself or with maybe one other friend, uh, in particular, but, um, but Mm -hmm. as you know, there's a group of people there, but if there's plenty of space to to move around where they're not lined up one against each other, taking the same shot and uh, a a place that is relaxing and where they can just think and be alone or ask questions. I think that's a great form for creativity to thrive. Mm -hmm. And Suzanne? Well, I was just thinking, uh, especially today, since uh, White Sands just became a national park, White Sands is one of my favorite places to take students because it's just a completely blank canvas. You've got 244 square miles of white gypsum dunes. And I'll take a group there and I'll stand them on top of a dune and they'll just all look gobsmacked because, okay, now what are we going to do? What are we going to do with this? And uh, we all seem to move around in a little group for, you know, about 15, 20 minutes. And as I start to show them different possibilities and different things to look at and, you know, what caught your eye here? What what are you looking at there? What do you want to accomplish here? As the days go by, going out into the field, coming back, doing post-processing and, and critiques and sharing images and then going back out into the field again, by the end of the week, I can't find anybody because <laughs> they're off in the dunes doing their own thing and, you know, they're, they've got their own rhythm going. And I always tell people when we go there, you know, initially it's going to seem completely overwhelming because there really aren't any what I call iconic shots at White Sands. There's variations of White Sands, but, you know, there's no one iconic shot that people are going for. So it is a wide open canvas. And I think that really brings out a lot of creativity in people when they just have to go and connect with the environment, find what turns them on, find what, you know, they want to do as a composition and go off and explore it. 
Mm-hmm. And Guy? Well, I, I think we need to separate two things here. One is the the means of expression and the other is what it is that you want to express. And certainly the experience is where the what it is that you want to express comes from. Uh, but in our classes, generally, we start by teaching something about the means of expression. So when we start our workshop, generally, on the first day, we don't go out anywhere. We'll spend three or four hours in class just talking about art and science and philosophy and just try to fill students' heads with as many possible ideas as we can. Uh, the other thing is uh, there seems to be an assumption that creativity is just something that happens at random when people are inspired, which it often does. But there's also some very good techniques for making people more creative. Uh, and I think that those are techniques that are worth rehearsing and, and worth isolating so they can be exercised in, in themselves. Uh, so at least my approach is to first teach some of those foundations of creativity, just to give people some ideas of what they can do beyond just documenting the things that they're seeing. And so when they are actually on location and they're having certain feelings or certain things that they want to express, they also have some framework to refer back to, to think of, to break it down into, okay, how do I use the, the elements that I have available to me to express the thing that I want to express? And Guy, you mentioned uh, some techniques. What, what Do you have any examples of that? Uh, yeah, and, and usually the, the, the question is, can you teach creativity? And obviously, uh, that, that's like asking, well, can you teach people to hear music? It's, everybody can do that. Uh, so really, that's not the, the good question to ask. The question is, can you make people more creative? Can you make people uh, apply specific skills that would exercise their creativity? And yes, there certainly are things, uh, skills and techniques that you can teach to make people more creative. Uh, things like divergent thinking, things like remote associations, conceptual blending, uh, cognitive inhibition make people come up with ideas even when their brain wouldn't do it by default. Uh, so you kind of put people in this frame of mind where, okay, you can try this, you can try this, you can try this, and all of a sudden ideas come up. That's the whole point of divergent thinking is you have ideas on the spot and you pick from multiple opportunities in real time rather than go out with a certain preconception in mind. Nice. Uh, David, I think you uh, wanted to chime in with something? Well, I was just going to agree with what uh, uh, Suzanne was saying earlier, and White Sands is one of those places. Uh, any any of the dunes, because in photography in particular, you you have to look at the light there, and I think that's a great place to look at the light and to talk about light in photography. And for the students, uh, she is right. Every everyone uh, is is kind of conglomerated in this one little area at the first few days, and then they start spreading out and spreading out and doing their own thing. And I think that's uh, a, a wonderful place to, te to teach a workshop. So I just wanted to agree with what she was saying there. I'm curious from you guys as a perspective, have you found that workshop customers are kind of expecting a certain type of experience that may, may not lead uh, to the types of teaching techniques that we're talking about in terms of maximizing creativity? Have you found that people are um, looking for other things where you're like, well, that's, that's, that's not what we're teaching here. What do you have to say, Sean? I was, uh, yeah, I think that definitely happens. Um, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the workshops that I do and the way I do them is more open-ended because I, I really do have a, a range of people. People are coming for a variety of different reasons, different expectations, different things they're hoping to get out of it. Um, and I don't 
you know, we, we go to places and it's kind of a general curriculum. Whereas what Guy was just talking about, which I think is great. And I think from what I know, Guy, I've never obviously been in any of your courses, but I hear a lot because I think we have a lot of overlap in some of the people we work with um, that, you know, Guy's really good at that, that he understands and has um, become educated. He's educated himself on these ideas of creativity and how to foster it and the types of ways to get people to think in different ways and that that's part of his curriculum. And so, um, and I, my understanding too is from my guests who have also been on guys is they go to guys workshops specifically because they know that that's what he's doing and that that's the experience they're going to have. I think they come on my workshops and it's more like, um, we're going to have fun. We're going to go someplace cool. We're going to have some adventures. And, you know, if I want to go off and photograph by myself and be left alone, that's going to happen. If I'm kind of a new to this and I have a ton of questions, uh, about, you know, how to operate my camera or just, you know, where to, where's a good place to start from, or what lens do I need? I know that Sean will answer those questions. If I have questions about, um, you know, more kind of, esoteric creativity that Sean can also engage in that kind of conversation with me. And then I really try to tailor uh, my instruction to the person. So you end up with a much more eclectic group of experiences um, without a set curriculum. But yeah, I think people come to my workshops knowing that that's what they're going to get, that kind of whatever experience they want to have, they're going to be open to. I thought that people went to your workshop, Sean, just to hear your sexy voice. <laughs> I, that's, uh, yeah, that's totally why. Um, I have a sexy voice. I think my voice is horrible. Oh, come on, man. Well, uh, what, do you, uh, what do you think, Guy? Not about Sean's sexy voice. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to thank Sean for, for the, the very kind comments. Uh, actually, there is science that shows that most people don't like their own voices. Uh, but if you look at uh, – we, we try we try specifically to, to preempt uh, having too much of a variety with our group. So if, if you look at our workshop listings, it explicitly says on the page, this workshop is recommended for these kinds of people and not recommended for these kinds of people. Specifically, it says not recommended for photographers who seek location-based photos tours. Um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to narrow that scope because ultimately it will be unfair for people who come expecting to have a creative, expressive experience uh, to be mixed in a group where people are unhappy because we don't hit the hotspots, uh, which we do, but that's, uh, and also that's not the main theme for the workshop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suzanne? I think a lot of it too is just managing people's expectations when they come to a workshop, you know, to uh, let them be open to uh you know, other opportunities and possibilities that are presented to them. You know, sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate, the logistics don't cooperate, you know, one thing and another, and they may have some pre-visualized image or images in mind or certain things that they want to do. And I think one of the things we need to do as instructors is to, uh, you know, let them know to be open to other possibilities that certainly could be better for them. You know, the unfortunate pitfall of having predetermined expectations is it prevents people from enjoying the experience and uh, closes the door to other possibilities. So I try to let them know that magic happens when you least expect it. Uh, You know, many a times I've taken people out and it's poured with rain for days, but we knew magic was coming at the end and it did so i think just getting people to uh be flexible and manage manage their own expectations is a good way to go 
Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've had to do myself over the years is uh, manage expectations. And I think when you manage expectations, it it leaves you more open to different ideas, different types of scenes, different types of shots using different lenses. I think it opens the door for creativity. So I think that's a really astute uh, observation. So I wanted to kind of talk about one of the things that Guy brought up in his article, um, which is talking about defining and measuring creativity. And uh, in your article, Guy, you had talked about um, measuring creativity or defining it in three different criteria, uh, which was novelty, usefulness or value, and surprise, uh, which which I think is an interesting way to think about uh, creativity. Uh, in your guys' opinion, why should photographers care if their photos are creative? I guess I'll take that one. Uh, for, first of all, I think the creativity is a is a very useful life skills. So I think it's well worth training. And you know, as teachers in the abstract, whatever it is that we're teaching, I think we have a, a certain duty to students to give them the, the best education that we can, just in, in general terms. And creativity, because it's so important, pretty much to, to everything, and because there's such a crisis of creativity in the world, and I think it's important uh, to um, to to touch on that or and to encourage that. But the the other part of it is that creativity plays a major role in the inner experience of any artist, of any creator. Uh, the, that sense of discovery, that sense of accomplishment, that sense of succeeding after multiple failures. To me, those are some of the most rewarding things about photography, about anything creative that I do. Uh, and I think that that's not necessarily intuitive to most people, is that by having a creative accomplishment that they would actually feel better about themselves. They would actually enjoy the experience more. And so we want to encourage that and, you know, get people that, that, that first hit, I guess, where, okay, I've done something creative. I've done something I didn't expect to come back with. I've learned something I didn't expect to learn. And for me, that that opens the door to a whole range of experiences that if all you're doing is just checking things off a list, you're never going to get to. Mm -hmm. And Guy, can can you touch on just real quick kind of what, what you meant by these kind of three ways of measuring crit uh, creativity? Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, it's not it's not me. That's a definition that comes from uh, from neuroscience. Uh, if anybody's interested, uh, I think one scientist that did a lot of work on that. His name is uh, Dean Keith Simonton, uh, and you can find that that three criteria definition in a lot of his studies. And it also correlates with the definition that's used by the U.S. Patent Office to decide if something is worth awarding a patent for. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's not it's not something that I came up with. It's it's a well established uh, way to define or to measure creativity. Uh, but yeah, you can think of these three criteria. So first of all, novelty means that whatever it is that you're creating has to be original, not been done before. Uh, and of course, that uh, immediately eliminates all the, the well-known compositions. Um, value is uh, is kind of a touchy subject in art because who's to say that art needs to have value, right? There's a whole school of thought about art for art's sake. Uh, but I think that for me, at least the value of art is if you come in contact with it, it makes you better in some way makes you happier, makes you learn something, makes you think about something. If it has any kind of added value, then to me, that criterion is, is satisfied. Uh, the last one is uh, is a little more tricky. Uh, so surprise is one way to define it. Another way to define it is unexpectedness. So for example, let's say that I just go hiking off trail, I discover this incredible view, and I make a photograph. And then another person, never seen that photograph, comes to the same place, makes the exact same photograph because it's really obvious. Neither of these photographs can be considered very creative because they're, they would have been obvious to anybody else under the same condition. <laughs> I feel like that's really hard to swallow for most photographers. <laughs> um, uh, well, 
it's borne out by by science and research. So hard to swallow or not, it's it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Suzanne. Yeah, there was a uh, great quote. I think it was in Guy's piece that basically said, "Constant creativity and innovation are essential to combat visual mediocrity," and I thought that was pretty succinct. Yeah, that's Edward Rustin. Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, this is fascinating to me, uh, especially here, you know, because I'm always fascinated to hear guys take on stuff because, guy, you, you just um, kind of dive into things so deeply and get so well educated on them. Um, but this idea of uh, surprise, and, and I'm just wondering, I guess, in my own experience of viewing, you know, the first time I see something photographically in landscape uh, photography, uh, that has that element of surprise for me. And it feels very creative. Um, even if it might be the obvious thing, even if it's something that for whatever reason, the technique or the technology or just no one's done it before, the first time I see something, it really seems creative. But then, you know, this could be, you know, night sky photography. It could be, uh, you know, f- photography with really um, dramatic weather conditions or whatever it is. Uh, once I start seeing it happening more often, then yeah, it feels um, less surprising. But some of these things, you're talking about the obvious landscape, the obvious, um, you know, you come across this vista that, of course, you're going to photograph. Anyone would have photographed it. And I wonder that about things like, you know, the person who first figured out that with digital cameras and those new technologies that were able to now take photographs of the night sky and the Milky Way in ways that really weren't possible without special equipment in the past, you know, was that person being creative or were they just shooting the obvious and they just happened to be the first ones to figure out that they could photograph the obvious? (laughs) Uh, David. Yeah. I I think one thing uh, about creativity also that hasn't been mentioned is failure and disappointment. And those are just things you have to go through to grow creatively. And I, I love it when people at a workshop get these great photos and they're really, they, they've reached a different level and they've learned from the workshops. But I, I try to also say that, you know, if you are failing, if you're disappointed, that's not so bad either. It means you're growing. Um, so I, I, I think that that's an aspect of photography or in any creative endeavor that you can't overlook because it's just part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Alex? Um, well, going back to, I guess earlier you had asked about if there are anyone that come on workshops with expectations that are out of line for what you intend to teach. And then Sean was mentioning night sky photography and asking whether that's creative. And I really don't teach night sky photography anymore or night photography because there's no real interaction with light aside from a moonrise or moonset and because it doesn't feel that creative i know that it's really exciting to see the night brought to life that way in photo form um but the milky way looks the same whatever hemisphere you're in it's going to look the same your entire life it's going to be the same thing plopped over you know, the lower third of land or whatever the formula is for a night shot. And it just doesn't feel that creative because it's essentially just recording the scene as is uh, by nature because it has to be such a large field of view. You can't really isolate anything that you in particular noticed. It's difficult to work creatively with the light because it's just a very dim starlight or you're blending in twilight from earlier. And it's very procedural. 
it's fun to get the technicals down and see that come to life. But at the same time, it's not very creative in my opinion, but was it creative when the first person did it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, guy. Uh, yeah. So, so first of all, I think we need to speak of creativity as a matter of degree and not is something creative or not creative, but how creative it is. Uh, and some things are more creative than others. Uh, the other thing, and uh, Alex actually set this up perfectly for me, is to separate creativity from expression. Uh, and this is where things like the night sky or, you know, blazing sunrise, those things are obviously very beautiful, very attractive. A lot of people will respond to them. But like Alex said, they'll respond to them in the same way because you have to remember that if you're looking at your photograph has only so much attention and if something dominates their attention that limits your ability to express any narrative of your own so to me the more subtle the image the more opportunity i have to place emphasis where i want to rather than just say okay the blazing red sky is really the only thing i know that a viewer would look at so it doesn't really matter or you know the milky way the response is fairly ubiquitous to those things mm, that's <laughs> yeah i mean as a night photographer myself i I, I guess I kind of find myself agreeing and disagreeing with Alex at the same time. I think while it tends to kind of all look the same, I don't necessarily think that means it's not a creative pursuit, especially when you think about how you're going to pair it with different foreground elements or perhaps maybe use low level lighting or how do you incorporate other compositional elements into the scene that complement the Milky Way? So, uh, Alex, take it away. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to disparage night photography as a whole, but specifically when talking about opening a student's mind to new uh, types of images or about creativity to whatever degree, I think it's just it's such a procedural type of photography. Like you have to get so many technical things right to make it. Uh, work and it's so difficult to shoot a lot of different uh, compositions at night because of issues of depth of field and exposure time like I feel like all those things limit creativity and you're really limited by the technical aspect of it and so it a lot of night shots end up being like how do we work the Milky Way into this composition or how do we just find a composition that complements the Milky Way but would that composition be interesting without the night sky or is it just trying to trying to fit the milky way into it even when it's not working so i just it's it's difficult but i have seen some really nice really interesting unique night shots it's just really difficult to come up with them i think compared to a situation like in a canyon where you have changing bounce light and you might notice some if you're a guy you might notice some small brush catching light against one little wall, like something that no one else would ever see. And you turn it into something spectacular. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Guy? Uh, well, I'm going to agree with Alex again, but again, I want to emphasize the, the aspect of expression and not just creativity. Uh, and here, I think it's very important for people to understand the concept of equivalence in photography, uh, where photographs can be equivalent of emotions. It's a concept that was introduced by Alfred Stieglitz and later by Minor White. And so when it comes to a photograph of, say, the Milky Way over a beautiful landscape, then it is a beautiful photograph of the Milky Way. But if I want the photograph to be about something else, something out of my own mind, if I want you to feel a certain way, if I want you to experience a certain emotion when I look at it, uh, then the night sky actually draws attention away from that thing that I want to express. So for me, things that are very obviously attention-grabbing, as popular as and beautiful as they are, they limit me as, as an expressive artist. That's interesting. 
Well, I can say that, I, I mean, I think it's interesting also to break down, I mean, different people do di photography for different reasons, you know, and there's different motivations. And I definitely think, you know, creativity is a great motivation that can kind of flow throughout all the different uh, aspects of photography and why we do it. But a lot of people, you know, for example, the night, we, we were kind of on the night sky example, but I think... A lot of people enjoy doing that because they love the activity of it. They love the experience. They love to have a reason to be out in the landscape in the middle of the night and, you know, capturing, you know, f working through the technicals, the, the, the procedural aspects like Alex was talking about that make it possible to make a, uh, an image of the night sky in those, in those challenging conditions. And it's just that, um, that activity for some people, that's, that's the reason to do it. And I think for a, a lot of things, you know, a lot of going back to, you know, the reason from a lot of my photography is I'm out to, to have an experience. I'm out to hike somewhere to get to a, a, a viewpoint or to get to some place that's challenging to get to. Um, and that's my reason for being there. And then the camera is my, uh, tool for trying to record that and then be able to have something that shares some of my experience. But for me, the experience comes first and I'm doing that. That's my reason. And if I go out and have the experience and didn't take a camera or I go out and have the experience and didn't bother to take a photograph or my photographs completely fail, um, that doesn't take away the experience for me. And so yeah, it's getting back to the idea of all different reasons for going out and doing things. Sometimes I do go out with the purpose of, I just want to go be creative. But most of the time for me, my motivation is I want to go do something. And if I can then creatively communicate that experience through a photograph, then that's just a bonus. That's like an extra thing, but it wasn't the original reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that a lot because when I think about a lot of my night photography, you know, I'm not necessarily, my goal wasn't to be the most creative photographer as possible. It was to have a really fun time and to try to get the Milky Way with something, with another object that I'm in love with or that I really like. So for me, the experience is just as important as the end result. Uh, uh, David and then Guy. Um, I did write, er, I, I talked about earlier in a recent photo Cascadia blog that um, to simplify, and I talked about the struggles that I've had with uh, growing up looking at Western art and then uh, trying to study Eastern art and how that Eastern art is influencing my photography. And I think it's helping me be more creative, it's also helping to simplify my images. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's a struggle I've had and, and something I've been conscious of for about at least 10 years or more. And how to kind of create those, uh, more of those Eastern scenes. And I, I write about that struggle in, in the blog that I just reshared for Photo Cascadia. So um, I, Charles Mingus said that being just being weird is not creative. Anyone can be weird, but uh, to simplify like Bach, then that is creativity. So, hmm. 
uh, guy. Uh, yes, I, I want to agree with with uh, with Sean and, and with you, Matt. Uh, I, but I do think we need to separate the the aspects of what is an enjoyable experience from specifically the experience of creative expression. There's a lot of reasons to pursue photography. A lot of them are extremely enjoyable, and none are necessarily greater or lesser than another. Uh, for me, one of the greater experiences is that creative expression. But uh, the experience of being outdoors, like I assume most, if not all people uh, on this call, uh, is is primary. If by whatever odd circumstances I would be forced to choose between photography and the outdoors, photography would be gone before I even blink. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, Alex. Well, I just wanted to clarify that I don't uh, – I was speaking purely about the end result from the perspective of that third component of creativity, surprise. I'm not surprised by 99% of the Milky Way shots that I see because they're very similar to other images by nature mm. that we've already seen. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's not a worthy pursuit if you enjoy the experience. I mean, I've stood out there and photographed the night and it's, it's really peaceful. It's fun to go through the procedure and it's fun to see the images come up and uh, bring them to life. It's, it's just in terms of the end result, having that element of surprise, that's, where I thought it was lacking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, and I, I fully agree with that. Uh, Suzanne, I'm curious, kind of, what do you think about these three criteria for measuring uh, uh, creativity? Well, I tend to agree, I obviously tend to agree with them in theory. I've always thought of it uh, a little bit more. I have sort of the same three um, issues. But when I'm talking to students about sort of the progression of create their creativity and what they're doing to, you know, learn to become proficient photographers or enjoy the process of photography, that tends to follow the evolution of where we start, we imitate, you know, we imitate all the other pictures that we've seen, um, kind of like when you're learning to play music and you, you know, you do the scales and you play the chords and, you know, practice old favorites a thousand times before. And you learn how to kind of reproduce those. Um, and I think that that's part of the learning process is imitation. And then after that, you can start to get into what I call simulation, where you're taking those basics and the things that you've learned before and the techniques and sort of adding a little bit of something new to it, sort of branching off with your creativity a little bit. And then finally, hopefully, we'll get to a point, and I think this is where what I call innovation, but you're calling surprise, comes in. The innovation where you truly create something uh, new, transform it, update it, advance the craft and cover, you know, uncover something completely unique and unexplored, whether it be location or technique, uh, thinking of something new, implementing something new and making like exceptional and distinctive images. Um, and when we get to the point of innovation, I guess that's where other people want to simulate what we've done so hopefully we'll get to that point at some some point yeah oh, i mean that makes a lot of sense uh sean well kind of building off of this conversation uh one of the things that comes up to me uh that i realize also and I, i'm gonna throw this out to everyone um and maybe there's maybe it's a chicken and the egg sort of example but i'm always curious to know like when it comes to creativity and photography, what's the best pathway and is there a best, but and guy touches on this in his article is that, you know, there's the, there's two parts of photography. There's the creativity and there's also the science, you know, there's the, how you take a picture, how you operate the camera versus, you know, what do you do with that 
information that you collect with the camera? How do you be creative with that? And I always wonder, you know, is creativity come after you master the tech, you know, once you are comfortable with your camera and you understand how cameras work and the camera just kind of, you're so comfortable with it that it disappears for you, that you're now able to be creative because you're not thinking about how to operate the machine. Or is it make more sense to say, you know, don't worry about how to operate the machine, just go out and be creative and just take pictures and, you know, don't worry about the technical aspect of it. Don't worry about, are you doing it right? Don't worry, even worry if you're getting anything out of the camera. Um, you know, <laughs> that stuff will come later. Just go be creative first. And I, I, I don't know if it matters. Uh, I don't know if it's two different ways to approach, but I've, I've heard people um, kind of approaching it from both directions. And yeah, I just wonder how that plays in. And what people think about that? Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of um, of an, uh, an experiment when I and I'm going to mess it up a little bit, but basically they they put a bunch of kids in a room with a box <clears throat> that had all of these different things that you could manipulate, and the idea was to open the box. And if um, basically if you showed the students how to open the box, um, there was almost no creativity in terms of like playing with the box, doing different things with the box, and obviously the box had like lots of different other things you could do with it other than open it um, versus whether on the flip side of that, you give them the box and you don't tell them anything about how to use the box. They do all kinds of really surprising and interesting things. And um, it's like, that's an obvious display of creativity. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that particular experiment, um, but I think that's a pretty good example of kind of how that plays out in the real world, especially with, you know, with kids, Alex. Well, yeah, I think, I think that, uh, that's a perfect example of it. However, it's a lot more complex to operate a camera and to process an image, everything that goes into making a finished image than this opening of the box. So I think it really depends on the student and how well they're able to get into, I don't know, how well they're able to meditate almost to get to put all these things out of their mind once they have the techniques down. And if they're new to them, then it's going to be very fresh in their mind, they're going to be thinking, well, I need to employ this technique in this way because that's what I just learned. But when you reach a point where you've got all that completely mastered, then it's, I think, more helpful or more conducive to creativity to have more tools in your toolbox. Like Susan or Suzanne was saying, sorry, about uh, music. Like when you're learning, if you just give someone a guitar, they can't really do much with it but if they learn the scales and then they learn chords and then they learn other songs they learn all these tools that they can later employ to get a specific result mm -hmm. and so i think the same is true with a camera like if you have all those tools in your toolbox and uh then you have you come across something in the field that's novel or some new thing that you want to do you're able to do it perhaps able to express it more effectively than if you didn't know what you were doing with the camera. But that's about whether you can let go of these preconceived notions of what uh, techniques you should be using at which time and get into that flow state. Right. 
Uh, Guy. Uh, So I want to sharpen that distinction because at the end of the day, you need both something to express and some knowledge of knowing how to express it, the the technique of doing that. Uh, And I think everybody is born with some degree of creativity. Not everybody is born knowing how to operate a camera. So definitely there needs to be some initial foundation of understanding basic things like exposure, uh, stabilization, how to to capture a successful photograph, uh, some basic processing techniques, uh, just so you have the tools to express it. But I think that beyond that point, when you have some foundational skills in both of these areas, then they just feed off each other because you constantly try to do things, hopefully, to challenge yourself to do things that you don't necessarily already know how to do. Uh, and so that prompts you to learn more techniques, to experiment with technique, that prompts you to, to try to express things that you didn't know how to express previously. Uh, so I, I don't think that they can be separated in a way of what comes first. I think you need a certain baseline in both, and then you need to just let the two interplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I really like that guy. The two feed off of each other. I think that's important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on that particular topic? <laughs> well, I just like to say, well, for me, I, I, I chose the camera. I chose just because it felt comfortable in my hand. And once I knew that felt comfortable and I didn't have to think about my camera, then I could go out and photograph and do what I wanted to do with it um, after learning about the camera too. But I think camera companies and and photography in general is getting easier and easier and easier with the technology we have. And the difficulty isn't in operating your camera as much anymore, but the difficulty is in being creative, in being original. And you had touched on photos looking the same earlier in this episode. And I just the difficulty is branching out from that sameness and that conformity and being original and being yourself, that's where it all lies. Yeah, and I'm curious, kind of what I wanted to go with that too is like, does do you think that's an important thing for photographers to pursue, that, that idea of kind of being different and being, you know, separating yourself in, in some way that differentiates you from, from the rest of the crowd or that identifies you as kind of unique? What do you think, Alex? I think that depends entirely on what your goals are, and that's kind of goes back to like the night sky discussion for Mm -hmm. example and if your goal is just to go out and have fun then it doesn't matter what kind of photo you're making but if you're thinking about the end result and you want that to stand out from the crowd for whatever reason maybe you want to uh, build a business out of it and you need to find your niche maybe you want to become a famous artist i mean whatever reason you might have for it that (laughs) that uniqueness would be required i think in today's a saturated world but if you're just out there to enjoy it then why why would it matter i mean i think that's an interesting question <laughs> and uh, i guess uh, one one addition to that is that it's more satisfying to create uh, something new in general i think that it is and maybe people don't necessarily know that until they've experienced it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any, any thoughts on that, Suzanne? Well, I think that, yes, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, if you have to, to force a look or force a, uh, you know, a, a specific style in your photograph um, or your photography in general that you've kind of missed the point, I think those things should evolve with just your uh, creativity and not having, you know, as uh, Alex was saying, not having an end result in mind when you're going out to be in the wilderness or to 
be creative, whether it be art or photography. Um, if the end result is just enjoying the process, being creative, trying new things, uh, just being sort of one with your place and not, is this going to get likes on Instagram? Is this going to be approved by, you know, my mother, is this going to be the next cover of the magazine? If you're just out there doing it because you love it, um, your personality will start to come through in your images and you will evolve a style all by yourself without even having to force it. Yeah, and it takes time, right? It's not something that's just going to happen overnight. <laughs> I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Well, I, I wanted to end our chat um, on maybe some more of some practical thoughts on kind of these theoreticals that we've been discussing. And I wanted to kind of pull, extract a quote from the article that, that Guy wrote, a quote from Albert Einstein, which was, uh, the supreme art of the teacher is to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge. And so my question for each of you is, um, and I guess we can start with, with Guy, how do you teach creativity? What is your process for that? <laughs> uh, so like I said, on, on my workshops, usually we start with a very long session talking about a lot of different aspects of, of science, art, philosophy, having to do with creativity. Uh, even in the slideshows that we show in the beginning of the workshops, you would never see iconic views. We try to encourage people to think in that way. We give them templates for how to think about things like composition. And when I say template, I don't mean you have to put this in the foreground, this is the background, but break it down so you can explain your reasons for composing things a certain way. So uh, if you think about cognitive skills, a lot of times they behave like physical skills. If you're going to the gym to specifically to train a particular muscle, then you want the exercise that, that specifically targets that one muscle. So we try to find those exercises that specifically talk to creativity. Uh, and we generally tell uh, our uh, participants in advance that at the end where we're going to do a review, which is not critique, not criticism, it's a review, um, that we expect to see creative expressions. So I don't want anybody to feel like, hey, I want to show you the, the most beautiful, iconic image of Zabriskie Point because we were lucky and had great clouds. Uh, yeah, we were all there. We already know that. Show me something that you came up with on your own. And so we kind of plant the seeds uh, that in psychology that's called priming uh, to have people think creatively about what they're doing. Mm, I love it. Um, Suzanne? Yeah, totally agree with Guy on that. Um, absolutely. Most of uh, the workshops do start with, you know, the introductory part as far as what to expect and sort of how I teach in the field and what to expect when we're we're out there. And I think the most important thing, aside from education, which we're going to give them, is just motivation and inspiration. And if, if we can do all those three things, I think we've uh, done our job well. Okay. And Sean? I think for me, the biggest thing that I try to do to teach or get people to be creative is when, you know, when we're photographing something, ask them, you know, why is, you know, why did you point your camera at that instead of something else? You know, we're out in the landscape, you could go anywhere, but for some reason you ended up going there. What is it about that? What is the essence of that? And then make the photograph about that. So it's no longer a photograph of a tree. You know, why did you point your camera at the tree? And if they say, well, I just love the way, you know, the light and the motion just really caught my attention. Well, now your photograph is about light and motion. Or if they say, you know, I, I don't know, I just was this struck me. I had a feeling of loneliness looking at this landscape. That's why I want to take a photo. Okay. Now your photograph's not about the desert or the, you know, wherever you are, but it's about loneliness. So that's what your photograph's about. So if I, 
that's the best I guess I am able to do with people is say, think about why or what motivated you, what's behind why you pointed your camera in a certain direction, and then make the photograph about that. Mm, I love that. That's, um, that's something I've been trying to do more and more. It's sometimes it's hard to, to do when you're out there and, you know, you're, you're trying to like, your eyes are kind of searching your surroundings, trying to find things of interest. But I think kind of at, I think once you find something that piques your interest, I think asking that second question of why did this um, get my attention, I think that's a really interesting exercise. Uh, uh, Alex? Well, Sean hit the nail on the head. That's exactly how I like to teach it, is just ask people why or what they were drawn to in particular. And then like David was saying earlier, uh, part of the process of creativity is uh, distilling it down or simplifying it so maybe they pointed their camera in a direction because they saw some interesting bit of light happening or some interesting shape in the landscape, but then distilling that down to make the photo about the thing that they were first drawn to, uh, that's maybe more difficult than just pointing in that direction, but that's what can make it really interesting and make it their own because you don't want a photograph that's just a recording of what there was with one small section being the point of interest and you want it to be about something, whatever it was that drew you to it. So yeah, Sean, that approach is exactly right for me. Nice. Uh, David. To just kind of piggyback on what Alex and Sean have been talking about. Uh, I, I did a workshop in uh, or a conference in Sedona, Arizona and uh, Suzanne was there and I had one workshop that I just, it was about simplify, 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 which is what Thoreau said. And it is basically exactly what Sean said. When you take out that camera, the first thing you should say to yourself is why am I taking this picture and then try to make it about that. And I think that's really important. And when I, when I teach my workshops, I also think inspiration is important. And as I said earlier, to take care of all those logistics uh, as the workshop leader. So the people that are on your workshop don't have to think about all that other crap. They can just be there and have a nice forum and framework for being creative. And I think that's important also. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great. Uh, Suzanne. Yeah. Another point to just to add on to what we've said too, I totally agree with, um, with Sean and Alex on that. We were talking about, you know, uh, finding something that catches your eye, following through on that, uh, make an image, of that and what caught your eye. Uh, going back to the white sand scenario again, because it is just such an overwhelming, you know, blank canvas. Um, and a lot of people just don't know what to do with it. A lot of times when I take a group to a place or, or even myself to a location that I haven't been to before or not overly familiar with, I will just literally just sit down and just observe the environment, you know, feel the sand, look at the light, you know, follow the lines and the curves around. What is it about this place I'm in that is interesting and different? And, you know, how can I convey that in photography? So it's just a question of just getting close to the environment and starting to feel the place you're in before you even set up the tripod and start trying to take photographs. So it's a question of, you know, don't rush, don't, you know, and of course, unless, you know, wonderful things are happening in the sky. But, you know, don't rush to start taking photographs. Don't rush to get your tripod out and all your gear out. Just sit and observe the environment and find out what speaks to you. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Very important. Yeah, it's funny. 
a guy actually wrote a really great article, very similar to the techniques you're talking about, Suzanne. It was called, um, I don't remember exactly what it was called. I think it was called the mind, Mindful Photographer, but he talked about um, creating visual inventories. Uh, so, Guy, what do you think? Well, I, I almost feel bad, but I'm going to disagree with everybody about the, the intuition of what drew you to photograph certain <laughs> things because we know from as far back as, as far back as Gestalt psychology and more recently a lot of neuroscience about attention and attention filters that the brain did not evolve to create art. There are certain things that draw your attention unconsciously or subconsciously. And so the first thing that you notice, the thing that draws you is not necessarily the most expressive or the most worthy thing to photograph if your goal is creative experience. Expression. You actually, uh, actually, there's a good line from uh, Miles Davis. He says, "Don't play what's there; play what's not there." So you have to consciously force yourself to go beyond the thing that immediately drew your attention. So, what does that look like for you, guy? Uh, so actually, uh, whoever brought up visual inventory, that is one thing is to make yourself mindful to clear as much attention resources as you can from your brain to not be preoccupied with other things. And then to force yourself consciously to notice things that you wouldn't notice mm -hmm. by default. Mm -hmm. Alex. Well, to build on what guy just said, I think maybe there's something that draws you to initially photograph a certain, uh, area or certain thing, but then you might look at that photograph and not understand immediately why you like it or why you looked at it. And it's not necessarily the thing that drew you there, but maybe there's something there that is worth focusing on that you didn't see at first, that you saw subconsciously or intuitively. And maybe that's different than the reason that you thought you pointed your camera there. I don't know if that makes sense. So it helps to analyze once you start focusing on something, then look at it. Why? am I doing this? What is it about this that I like? <laughs> I can just picture Alex standing in a, in a field full of mud tiles. Like, why am I here? I, I was actually wanted to say something quick about dunes uh, because Suzanne and David were talking about white sands. I think dunes are my favorite place to teach because they, like David said, you have to think about the light. It's all about the light. And uh, as David and Suzanne were both saying it, puts you in a place with a lot of different opportunities. And I really like to see students spread out on the dunes and find their own images. And it's a really nice uh, combination of a lot of opportunity for different images while at the same time being very basic elements of shape and light. So I just love teaching on the dunes and seeing people learn on the dunes. Not only that, but it's also uh, very non hard to impact a sand dune with lots of traffic. Yes, yeah, out there. that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I think I think that was that was all of the uh, the questions and topics that I had kind of written. All right, I think we did well. well thank you, Matt. Yes, for being here. Very Good cool. Year. Thank you guys all so much. This was a lot of fun. Um, you guys are a very thoughtful group. <laughs> thank you, Matt. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, great, great talking yeah. together, Matt. Absolutely. Well, hopefully, we'll see you guys soon in some capacity or another. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks to Guy, Suzanne, Sean, David, and Alex for joining us this week for such a fun conversation. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. As promised, at the beginning of the episode, we have some discounts available to listeners for a variety of workshops and products from Guy Tao, in case you are interested. Uh, these are all outlined in the liner notes at mattpainphotography.com, in case you want to see more details or information about them. 
Guy is offering 10% off any order through 2020 on his website, which is GuyTal.com, using the code FSTOP10. He's also offering $50 off any workshop offering in 2020. Just head to VisionaryPhotoWorkshops.com for those and use the code FSTOP50. I'm actually thinking about going on one myself based on all of the things that Guy shared in this episode. So if you want to join me, let me know. All right, well, just a quick update for you on the F-Stop Collaborate and Listen Landscape Conservation Award. As you may remember, I'm giving away $1,000 of my own money and additional $570 that have been donated by some of our generous listeners of the podcast to one deserving photographer that has demonstrated their commitment to landscape photography conservation efforts. We've received all of our nominations and selected our awesome judges. I hope to announce the winner in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, it's not too late to donate. I need a few extra dollars to help pay for an award plaque that will be created and sent to the winner. You can learn more about this in the liner notes. I also wanted to point your attention to something that I think you'd all be really interested in as landscape and nature photographers. Nature Photographers Network, or NPN, has announced their 2019 editor's picks, which I have linked for you in the liner notes. There are some absolutely great images there worth checking out. Also, NPN has just started a really awesome feature mirroring the popular Ask Me Anything or AMA posts from Reddit. They have already done one with one of today's guests, Sean Bagshaw, and I believe that just yesterday they released one for Alex Noriega. I'll link to those as well in the liner notes. It's a great way to get to know some really great photographers and to pick their brains on topics that you may be curious about. All right, well, big thank you to our awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, I'm looking to revamp uh, the reward structure for Patreon this year, so if you have any thoughts on that, I'm always looking for opinions and thoughts, so please reach out. There is a mighty group of supporters over there on Patreon that have been supporting the podcast, and we like to call them our podcast producers. They help shape the direction of the show through our Google Hangouts that I host, and they are really keeping the show afloat with their contributions. So let's thank the following people. If you recognize their names, I'd encourage you to support what they are doing. I have links to their websites on the podcast page on my website, and in my opinion, a high tide rises all boats. So thank you to Jack Curran, Eric Stensland, Chris Rice, Jeff Peterson, David Kingham, Charlotte Gibb, Anton Everine, John Whitaker, Jim Valencourt, Jason Clardy, Suzanne Mathia, Gary Randall, Michael Rung, Frank Otto Peterson, Zachary Smith, Richard Wong, Matthias Joland, James Bakavoy, Danny LeFrancois, and Ken Dono, and William Nurse, and Lori Berenson. All right. Let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. So next up, uh, just recorded yesterday, we have Royce Baer, one of the most inspirational and influential night photographers of the past decade. I'm also uh, co-authoring a book with Royce um, with six other photographers on all about night photography, and it's going to be really cool. It's called Secrets from the Stars, and we can put that in the liner notes as well. We also have uh, Brenda Tharp. She's a photographer from Sonoma County, California. Toby Harriman, a, an aerial photographer living in Alaska and San Francisco. Michael Strickland, he's a film photographer who specializes in panoramic photography. 
Jerry Greer, a really great photographer from the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, Nikki Rausch, uh, she's a sales coach. And lastly, uh, Christian Fletcher, he's a, he's a legendary photographer from Australia. All right, well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.